Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. seventy-seventh edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a hook and ladder across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. I'm honored that you would choose a trick play for me. Uh, so uh, glad to be here. Another exciting show. It was an exciting week of uh, college football. And you know what I actually did? Uh, you had a yard sale. I did. I had a garage sale. But you know what else I did? Uh, you watched Georgia, Alabama, or sorry, Georgia, Auburn. Yeah, what's that? What's that noise, though? Is that the fat stacks of paper you got by having the garage sale? That's right. I thought there was someone tumbling down the stairs. That too. <laughs> if if you didn't know, I'm tumbling down the stairs while I'm talking to y'all. Weird. Oh, nice work. Nice work. All right. Well, uh, we can't get started without the third amigo in the second city, a man whose Twitter account is a bit less explosive than Zach Smith's. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yikes. I did not think I'd ever be in the same sentence as him. I said a bit less explosive. <laughs> mm, oh, man. Well, um, we're a little late getting our, uh, our recap show out to you. It was a long weekend for everyone. We took Veterans Day off from recording and uh, pushed it back a day late. So uh, we also want to say thank you to all of our troops and service members, uh, both former and active out there. Thank you for keeping this country safe. Um, we hope that you are enjoying the show. And we will get right into it uh, with some quick slants. So, Josh, you are up first. All right. Well, my first slant is going to be about two teams putting up a ton of yards and coming up just short on the scoreboard. And that is Davidson and Baylor. Oh, if you have, man. If you I, have, I read about the Davidson game. Yeah, if you haven't heard, the Davidson Wildcats put up a record 789 rushing yards. Uh, that's a record over any division of football. Yet the San Diego Toreros, they won that FCS matchup 56-52. Over in the Big 12, Baylor racked up 505 yards, yet scored just 14 points thanks to a drive chart that looked like this. 47-yard drive, punt. 56-yard drive, missed field goal. 66-yard drive, missed field goal. 12 yards and a half. Three yards, punt. 92 yards, touchdown. 70 yards, touchdown. 61 yards, downs. 63 yards, downs. Uh, also, that game featured a brawl. I think the suspension is a steep punishment, but those are the rules of the Big 12, and they at least get to play the second halves. But that is crazy to score that many uh, – or put up that many yards and score that few points, Baylor. Yeah, it – it really is. Uh, so, Coach, I'm going to throw it out to you next. And uh, I know that you uh, were uh, pretty shocked by what happened over in uh, Knoxville this weekend. Yeah, I was. Uh, I-, I was thinking that, you know, Kentucky was going to come out all fired up. Uh, they just lost a big game. They're mad. They're upset. They're going against uh, what they consider a pretty big rival uh, in Tennessee. Tennessee just – 
for whatever reason, they're somewhat competitive, but they don't know how to finish a game. And they're just, you know, kind of just struggling through Jeremy Pruitt's first year and to be expected, uh, considering what he inherited and where they were when Butch Jones left. But really, in watching this game, they put an old-fashioned kind of clamp down on him. Uh, one thing, I, you know, it was a huge letdown for Kentucky. I, I feel like they completely choked. Uh, Benny Snell was uh, – he was shut down, and not only was he shut down, but he looked just completely worn out. Um, looked like they have just overused him. Uh, the defense looked tired at times as well. Uh, I think the biggest key to this game was Tennessee dominating up front on both sides of the ball. Tennessee had a lot of big runs. Um, and a lot of big run lanes offensively. They they were constantly stuffing Benny Snell in the backfield. It just uh, was was ridiculous um, for a team that had uh, top ten was top ten in scoring defense and uh, all that good stuff. And I, I thought that uh, Tennessee also protect protected Jared Guarantano pretty well, and uh, he showed a lot of good pocket poise uh, as a result. So uh, overall, uh, I don't want to take anything from Tennessee. Uh, major props to Tennessee. You won't hear me say that very much. Uh, and Kentucky, and I'm disappointed. Uh, you know, once again, you find a way to have that late season slide that ruins what is potentially a really good to great season. Tennessee, 5-5. Five and five. Do they do – they- Score a sixth win to get to a bowl and prove its first year. Do they have some FCS team this weekend, like every other team in the SEC does? That's Vanderbilt. <laughs> so yes. So yes. <laughs> Sorry, Ashley. Yeah. And Lauren. And Lauren. Um, all right. And, and Coach Page. And Coach Page. Um, anyway, uh, for my first slant, uh, I will. I'm going to get through this quickly because. Uh, Wisconsin lost 22 to 10 to Penn State this weekend. It was another pathetic, pathetic performance from my Badgers. I will get started with this. Jonathan Taylor, tailback, still really good at football. Rest of the offense. Tennessee plays Missouri, by the way. (laughs) The rest of this offense, garbage. Absolute garbage. This offensive line started the season on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and now they should be, as far as I'm concerned, on the cover of a package of Charmin toilet paper because they are (laughs) soft. David Edwards, right tackle. He was a preseason All-American. On 25 dropbacks in the game on Saturday, he gave up seven pressures. Oops. uh, Including um, uh, one sack, one quarterback knockdown. Um, All-American right guard, Bo Benshaw, got beat repeatedly. He had two penalties and gave up a sack, and he was just abused. Uh, Benshaw and the rest of the offensive line, but especially Benshaw and Edwards, were abused by Sharif Miller, a defensive end from Penn State, who was in the backfield on every play, it seemed. He had two of Penn State's five sacks. Penn State's offense actually did not fare all that well against the Badgers' defense. Um, That unit actually played pretty admirably without nose tackle Alibi Sagapolu. Um, but Miles Sanders was still able to get 159 on the ground, helped keep the ball in the Nittany Lions' hands. They had the ball for eight more minutes than Wisconsin did. Josh, was there anything that Wisconsin can salvage from this god-awful season? Well, they know their recruiting plan is going to involve a quarterback because I've not seen that cones the future. 
Uh, well, the recruiting back, they have the number two recruiting back in the country coming in. Uh, so, will be an early enroll. So we're hoping he starts next year. Yeah, so there you go. Got to hope that he's the real deal. Uh, I know coaches see him on film. The Graham Mertz era is coming. It can't, it can't get here fast enough. Uh, mind you, Graham Mertz by himself this weekend in his uh, high school playoff game threw for, I think, 450 yards and six touchdowns. Whoa. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for uh, Blue Valley North out there in Kansas. Kansas? Kansas. Um, Wisconsin next year will have three players from the state of Kansas on their roster. Um, anyway. So will, so will University of Kansas. <laughs> I believe they have one recruit right now. Well, um, Blue, Bluetooth is going to get some great recruits. That's who they're hiring. You know that, right? Ooh. Do they, do they have reception in Lawrence for that? They, they, yeah. I think they'll. I think part of this contract is they have to build up a cell tower right next to campus. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if uh, if Google Fiber there is there yet out there in Lawrence. So I hope he listen. I hope Todd Graham listens to the show and is so enraged by that that it, when he gets another coaching job, he just wears the most ridiculous nineteen eighties headphones as possible. That would he be looks awesome. like Lord Helmet. <laughs> Um, okay, Josh, uh, what have you got for your second slant? Well, my second slant was supposed to be looking at the division races, and it ballooned. It's way too long to be a slant, so turn it into kind of a new section of the show. Of I'm just going to give the scenarios, and then you guys pick a winner now well, that we're towards the end. So uh, the American East, we got Central Florida. They're undefeated, but Temple and Cincy are each 5-1. and one. Owls have that head-to-head win over Cincinnati. But uh, UCF has the head-to-head over Temple. So Knights' victory this week at Cincinnati will wrap up the division. Does that happen? Yes. Yes. All right. In the American West, we got SMU, Houston, and Tulane. They're all four and two. But the, but the Ponies have tiebreakers over both teams. Uh, Tulane heads to Houston next. So one of those teams' run will essentially end. Uh, after that game, Houston has Memphis, and Tulane has Navy. SMU has that tricky Memphis team, but then ends with a struggling Tulsa team. Memphis could win out, and maybe with some funky tiebreakers, they get the division, but I haven't crunched those numbers all the way. So I guess my question is, does the surprise ponies hang on to win the division? Coach, I'll let you answer that first. Ooh, um, I'm going to say no for right now. Yeah, I'm going to say no as well. I still think Houston's going to win. I think yeah. that I think that uh, I think Houston wins their last two, and uh, SMU drops a game, drops the game to Memphis. Fair enough. Uh, but that would, yeah, that would work out. So then, uh, the ACC, Clemson's already clinched the Atlantic. The Coastal Pit controls their own destiny, uh, but they are done at home. They end with back-to-back road trips to Wake Forest and Miami. Although after 492 yards in the route over Virginia Tech, I think they are clearly playing the best. Uh, they also have the tiebreaker over Virginia and Georgia Tech, second and third teams in the division. Pitt does not choke this away, right? Not a chance. No. All right. So the Big 12, it's a mess. Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, and Iowa State are all alive in the race for the title game, but they face some um, games against each other. For instance, Oklahoma and West Virginia play each other. Texas and Iowa State play each other. Out of those four teams, how do you see this shaking out? I'll go first. I think Iowa State 
comes out of this comes out of this heap. I think it's going to be Iowa State, Oklahoma. All right. Yeah, I, I'm actually with Coach 100 percent on that. I, I definitely got Iowa State. Ooh, interesting. All right, I like. I, it. I really believe in in this Cyclone team. Uh, well, they're certainly fun to watch. I, so it's a great story, and, and they've got a real quarterback now. Yeah, that like, is. They, that they, is they, they always had quarterbacks who were sort of like patchwork, could like do a little bit with their arm, do a little bit with their legs. But w- w- what they've got now is, I mean, uh, their coach is Matt Campbell is going to be one of the hottest names in the country. Uh, come they, the silly they've season. got legitimate weapons. I mean, they've got Hakeem Butler, uh, David Montgomery. Montgomery. Yeah, he gets paid a ton, though. That's the thing. I, I think people look at Iowa State and go, "Oh, he must make like nine hundred thousand. No, he makes like two and a half million, right? Uh, yeah, he's really well compensated, and he's at a power school, and that conference is still feels winnable because Oklahoma refuses to play defense, and Texas is coached by an idiot. <laughs> Go on. Uh, so the Big Ten East, Michigan and Ohio State will decide things in Columbus, even if they each lose next weekend. They both have tiebreakers over Michigan State and Penn State. So the division is down to those two, regardless. Wait, Rutgers can't make it? Regrettably, no. Oh, alas. <sighs> well, there goes my pick. Yeah, so who do you got in the game? Matt? Uh, um, I'm going meat chicken. Uh, this, this, this is their year. Um, this is this this is the year. Everything, everything going on around this Ohio State program right now. You know, it, it's. I, I don't want to say it's tearing the program apart, but it's it's just it's not their year. And I, I just I think that this is uh, if it's ever going to happen in Michigan, this is the year. So. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that Michigan's, I think Michigan's defense is good enough to stop Ohio State. And I think they can get just enough with a run game with Karan Higdon going that uh, they're going to win like a 17 14 kind of game. I it's, believe it's, is it in the big house this year? I'll, I'll, I'll double check that. I I'll look that up while you go to the next division. Uh, well, did coach, did coach give his answer? Yeah, I'm I'm going huh. with uh I'm going with uh, uh the man who wears uh Dockers and, and Jordans at the same time. Cookies. All right. The game is uh, in so the big ten. The game is in yeah. Yeah. It don't matter. I, yeah. I think Ohio State's just off. I mean, I watch it. we'll we'll talk about that game with Michigan State later, but they're just I I'm not buying them. Uh, Big Ten West is wrapped up, regrettably, in a game that we will also be talking about later. Uh, Regrettably, as a Hawkeye fan, hats off to Northwestern. Well done by those guys. They can't win anything other than Big Ten West games. It's crazy. Uh, But they've certainly won the games that matter the most. Over in the Conference USA, we got Middle Tennessee atop the Eastern Division uh, at 6-1. Florida International is sitting there at five and one, and four and two. Marshall is also kind of lurking around. I think Raiders at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, so the Raiders beat Marshall, but lost to FIU. The Panthers and the Herd haven't faced each other yet. Uh, MTSU has just one league game left against UAB in the finale, Ooh. which matters because UAB has already well UAB has already clinched the West. So there's a potential for UAB to maybe rest players, or maybe they will want to get the game back at home. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. So basically the Raiders more or less have the division 
but some funky stuff still happens. Do either of you see funky stuff happening? To be honest with you, I would love to say yes and say FIU is going to uh, come away with this division because I think FIU will beat uh, Marshall, but I just don't see anything else happening uh, besides the Blue Raiders winning this division. Yeah, I, I don't think FIU is going to beat Marshall, so I, by default I'm taking MTSU. All right. And as I mentioned, the Blazers, great story. They've already wrapped up Conference USA West. Over in the MAC, the Bulls of Buffalo are 6-0, and but Ohio at 4-2 and is not mathematically eliminated yet because UB and Ohio haven't played each other. Still, Ohio would need to win out and have Buffalo lose out to sneak in, uh, except the Bulls' last game is against god-awful Bowling Green. So even with a major upset, I don't see how – Ohio steals this division. I picked Buffalo I, at the beginning of the year, and I feel good about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. They're not. They're not going to blow that. Yeah. And just tonight, we get to update this in the MAC West. Northern Illinois clinches thanks to Western Michigan coming up just short in overtime against Ball State. All right. So let's move on to the Mountain West. Uh, the Mountain Division is down to just two teams, just like the Big Ten. Utah State and Boise are cleared of everyone else. They play each other in Boise in the finale. Who wins that winner-take-all game? Coach? Hmm. I don't know. Well, we'll probably preview it, so maybe, maybe yeah, we'll hold I, off. I, I, think, I think we'll tease we'll, that. Yeah we'll, keep, yeah, we'll keep some drama in it. That's the scenario, though. So, yeah, the Mountain West West, a stunner last weekend. San Diego State lost to UNLV. That dropped them to 4-2 and two in league. That kept Fresno who just lost their first league game atop the division. Yep. Uh, so San Diego State and Fresno, uh, they play each other next week in a huge showdown. SCSU then hosts a reeling Hawaii team, and Fresno hosts an awful San Jose State team. Complicating things is Nevada. They have the head-to-head win over the Aztecs, but lost to Fresno. Nevada has trips to San Jose and UNLV to wrap up. So there's still a lot of scenarios in play. It, it's Fresno's at the moment. Do they hang on? Yes. Fresno is the best team in the state of California. Ooh, that's a hot take. I like that. All right. San Diego just won the Pioneer and gave up 789 rushing yards, though, and still won the game. So just saying. Well, I, I'd be a little bit more worried about Cal Poly. <laughs> uh, the, Pac- the Pac-12 North is just like a few of the other divisions where Washington and Wazoo are so clear of the third-place team, Stanford, that doesn't matter what happens. It's going to be the Apple Cup deciding things. And we'll, and we'll preview that yeah. one. Yeah, so just that's the scenario. The Pac-12 South, Utah got that huge win over Oregon to move to 5-3. and three. They just have Colorado left. They're struggling, but it is on the road. Um, because their finale is against BYU. So Arizona State has the tiebreaker over Utah, so they actually control their own destiny. But they have back-to-back roadies to Oregon and Arizona, so that won't be easy. My silly pick, Arizona, is still mathematically in it. They just need to upset Wazoo next weekend to stay in the hunt. Does Arizona State. (laughs) Yeah, does Arizona... Lose to Colorado. Yeah, does does Arizona State win out or does Utah posting that those five conference wins in the clubhouse possibly getting a sixth one? Are, are they feeling good? Coach, I'll let you answer that first. 
That's a tough one to answer. Uh, I, I think Utah is gonna gonna hold up. Uh, I think I think Arizona State is just eh, quite ready, maybe. But I'm, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Utah. I picked Utah before the season started, so why change now? Yeah, uh, the only conference to have both divisions wrapped up is coaches SEC. So we'll skip right to the Sun Belt. They do it now. I think Georgia's gonna win the East. <laughs> I think Alabama uh, in the West too. Yeah, the, the Sun Belt. Ooh, they, that's a tight race. Sun Belt. They went to divisions <laughs> for the first time this season, so they will have a title game in the East. Um, we've got Georgia Southern, who just got knocked off by Troy, so that's a huge tiebreaker in that division. As the Trojans are six and zero, but they still have to face five and one Appalachian State. That Georgia Southern team is mathematically sniffing around, still at four and two, but realistically. They're just excited about heading to a bowl game. So Troy App will probably preview that game, right? Yes, absolutely. We'll just tease it now. Sorry, Mountaineers fans. No one getting picked tonight. The Sun Belt West, we end with the most messed up division. (laughs) Um, So Louisiana Monroe is technically leading things at four and two, but they haven't faced either Arkansas State or Louisiana I still like to call them Louisiana Lafayette for clarity, but Louisiana. And those two programs are sitting at three and three. So Monroe has by far the hardest stretch left. So in addition to the Warhawks, Arky State has a trip to awful Texas State, and the Raging Cajuns host a really bad South Alabama team. I think Arkansas State is the best of these three, but honestly, this division is a tangled mess right now. Do you guys have any random picks? I mean, I it's I'm 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 going to default to our I, I default to Arkansas State at this point. Like I can't, sure. I, I I don't. I mean, we follow Sunbelt Belt football more than most people, and even after that, I like I I still I have no idea. Like I'm going to go with Arkansas State just because at this point I I trust in Arkansas State more than I trust in pretty much any other school, and at least in that division. It, until tonight, when I crunched these numbers, did you guys realize the Warhawks were <laughs> leading their division? I did because uh, because I was looking up some Caleb Evans stats earlier. <laughs> Things you will only hear on illegal motion. Well, wow. uh, coach, do you have an opinion on this absolute jumbled mess of a division? Um, I think uh, it is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Coach, speaking of winning or not winning in this case, uh, the Seminoles, your father's alma mater, are, in the words of uh, the immortal Vince Lombardi, what the hell's going on out here? I I think Vince Lombardi would just quit after watching these Seminoles, but um, where do I start? Okay, so their game against Notre Dame um, is just a microcosm of what their season's been like. Um, So what do we know? Their offensive line is horrendous. It's, yeah. Um, the team is unorganized all around, all phases of the game. Um, special teams is really bad. Um, they had a block extra point <laughs> returned for two points um, after one of their lone bright spots, and Cam Akers scored a touchdown. Um, let's see. Um, they gave up. Just about any every jump ball, they got mossed. Um, the uh, there was a jump ball to Claypool early in the first quarter that kind of set the tone for the game. Uh, they made 
they made Brandon Wimbush look like uh, Russell Wilson. Um, they had really bad turnovers. The Cam Akers fumble was atrocious. The Francois interception was, I mean, not necessarily his fault, but it, it was it was just bad uh, team-wise. It necessarily wasn't on Francois, but it was just bad team-wise. Um, Notre Dame basically just did whatever they wanted. Um, and staying with this theme in the state of Florida, um, if, you, if you also wanted to watch and, 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 uh, and do a face palm, um, I'm looking at you, Miami. Uh, Mark Rick, there was a certain look that he had on his face uh, in the entire 2015 season, the year he got fired. Um, he has that same look on his face. It's that exhausted, checked out, I'm ready to get the hell out of here uh, face that he has on. He's he's doing weird things with the quarterback position, which uh, he started some third stringer, uh, Fatone Bauda, uh, in 2015 that uh, was barely making – scout team reps and he just starts them against Florida. Um, he's doing some similar stuff there with, uh, with their quarterbacks and uh, Perry and whoever uh, Joe Schmo, uh, Johnny Longball down the street. So, uh, you know, the fans are fed up with him and I think he's just exhausted. And, and personally, you know, he, he looks unhealthy. He looks like he's just aged about 27 years and he really, I mean, for his own sake, maybe need to get maybe just need to step out of coaching for a year or two and uh, kind of reevaluate reevaluate what he wants to do and um honestly I, I don't know how it's got that bad and then the university of florida they are a mess uh after after uh rising all the way up to ninth in the country they dropped two straight to georgia and missouri and then uh they went down to the wire with uh a just declining South Carolina team that's just somehow getting worse as the season goes on. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what to say about the big three in the entire state of Florida. You're in the most talent-rich state in the union, and you can't find a quarterback. You can't find offensive linemen. You can't find great skilled guys that are dynamic and electric. And I'm especially looking at you, Miami. You don't even have to go above I-4 to get all your talent. You ever heard of this thing that Howard Schnellenberger called uh, the state of Miami? Yeah, you become an expert at that state. You don't have to do any other recruiting. You, you, this is this, it's set up so that you can be the laziest recruiter in all of college football. You don't go north of I-4. You sign your 25 kids from Miami, and you win the national championship. That's how good the talent is down there in South in South Florida. It is nasty. All right, I mean, Coach, it's tough to break through when Kansas is reeling them all in. I know, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> I just my, my biggest. You question. better watch out because Bluetooth is, Bluetooth is going to be <laughs> working in the state of Florida. There's really good cell reception there. My biggest question is that, like, what what is Mark Rick doing with the quarterbacks? Like, I, I wish I, I wish I could tell you. You watched him up close. How long was he? At, long was he at Georgia? Like twelve, thirteen years, something like that. He was there. He was there sixteen years. I've 16 never seen him do that. Years. I don't. I don't remember him juggling quarterbacks like this ever. Because he didn't. He, like he I mean, he was like guys through thick and thin, and like now, like you know, Malik Rogier has a called back say, "Oh, it's Perry. Perry is too bad. Series out oh, back to Rogier." 
Back to Perry. Back to Rogier. Like the, the 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 closest it ever got to a two quarterback system was when he had uh, DJ Shockley and David Green. But he DJ was, Shockley was basically every, like he was, he was a wildcat back for them, essentially. Wasn't no, he? he was more than that. He, yeah, he, no. He well, was I mean, more. when he was a starter, he he was obviously a quarterback. But I felt like when he came no. in, in relief of David no, Green. No, no, no. He, no, they brought him in like every third series, and he would come in and he would manage that series however it went. He wasn't necessarily what they're But Rick doing is acting like he's freaking Steve Spurrier in 1997 Florida. Like, yeah, I don't get it, and, and, and that's not him at all. Yeah, he, he, he's not coaching him up. Josh, which of these three programs is in the worst state right now? It's Florida State, right? Yeah. I'm not Josh, but yes. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing I would say about why Miami might be the worst case is if they do move on from Mark Rick or Mark Rick retires, then they're doing a coaching search in a year where I'm not entirely sure who the like huge get is because I, I, I'm just not seeing like a huge can't miss person out there. Um, Graham. <laughs> Whereas at least, you know, at least Florida State can give Willie Taggart another year. Mm-hmm. Um, at least Dan Mullen is a legit coach. And I think, you know, we could say Florida fell apart here in the back end of their season, but they had exceeded all expectations and they already had a huge upset with. LSU. I mean, I'm fine with where the Gators are at. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Florida has the most upside of, of the of the three, and I think uh, Florida State has the longest way to go. Florida State is just a mess, dude. It, what about it, it, if he leaves? What about uh, Charlie Strong for Miami? I mean, I can't think of a more perfect candidate. I, I don't think he's even doing well enough at South Florida, quite frankly. They're three and three. I, I'm, I'm thinking Lane Kiffin. Ooh, ooh, the Kiff. He would fit in perfectly. I'm thinking Lane Kiffin would be a shoe in for that job, but um, you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking the interesting one, the the next like huge name that I'm curious if anyone pries him away really is Brad Venables. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, two million is a, is a coordinator. Is he really? That's like, that's the top. I mean, I, him and, I mean, I, you could say the same thing about Dave Aranda. Yeah, but I, I feel like Venables, Venables is more of, I think, a head coach material. I think yeah. Aranda is very content being a defensive coordinator and doesn't really want the spotlight of being a head coach. Just in the, you know, in what, what I've seen from him between his time at uh, Wisconsin and LSU. Like he's not a guy who really likes the cameras and all that kind of stuff. So, okay. Well, we need to move on. I'm going to get through my second slant very quickly. Um, I previewed a couple of Pac-12 games on Thursday's show. I'm going to take a back, look back at them. Uh, we're going to start in Boulder where Colorado lost their fifth straight game, this time 31-7 to to Washington State. Gardner Minshew had another big game. This time he had 335 through the air, three total touchdowns. Best moment of the game, though, came in the after-game interviews. Mike Leach donned a mustache as an homage to his stud quarterback and looked good doing it. All that's left for the Cougs is a home game with Arizona before the Apple Cup, as, and as Josh mentioned, that will decide the North Championship in the Pac-12. Elsewhere for Utah, no Tyler Huntley, Huntley no Zach Moss, no problem. 
The Utes ended up beating Oregon at home 32-25. to New Utah quarterback Jason Shelley ran for two scores, didn't turn the ball over. Backup running back Armand Shine gave uh, 174 on the ground in his first start. Real start for the Utes, though, was their kicker, Matt Gay. Uh, Josh, I know you like this. He was 6-for-6 six six for field goals, including a 55-yarder. That's what we call sound in the third phase. For the Ducks, Justin Herbert was solid per usual, but as a team, Oregon only got 3.7 yards per carry, and they were shockingly outgained by the Utes by nearly 100 yards. So that, you know, uh, kept Utah atop the Pac-12 South, but we, as Josh mentioned earlier, Arizona State still has, uh, you know, their, their own destiny in their own hands. I was so pleasantly surprised by Utah. I really did not know what to expect once I went down with injury. That was yeah, awesome. Same. Yeah, that that was really cool to see. I I mean, their their defense stepped up. I mean, they, I know they only scored scored twenty. They still scored twenty five. Oregon did, but uh, that was a great defensive performance from Utah. And Matt Gay, man, like six for six on field goals. That's yeah. I mean, that, I mean, you got to do that to help out a kid making you know. A, a huge spot start due to yeah, injury. Yeah, first start of his career. So, all right. Um, before we get to the pop quiz, quick spread formations recap. Uh, Coach was our uh, our winner of the week. He went four and two. Uh, I was two and four, and Josh, what has become commonplace, you were one and five. Perfect. Uh, we were all on the wrong side of that Kentucky-Tennessee game, which Coach talked about. Uh, Coach was the only one of us who had Boise. Uh at plus two and a half, and they won outright. Coach and I both had Indiana over Maryland. Josh, you were the only one on Temple uh, against Houston. They were four and a half point dogs, and they still won outright. Uh, Coach had Kansas covering the ten and a half point spread. And Coach and I both had Rutgers covering that 40-pointer against Michigan. Uh, for the season, I'm still in the lead 27-32-1, followed by Coach at 24-35-1. Josh, uh, I'm a little worried. You were 19-40-1. Forty and one. That is good for a solid thirty-two percent win rate. You know, I got him right. I got him right where I want him. I just need to have a second half strong finale. I'm evaluating. Josh, Josh, I got some bad news. Uh, We're like three quarters of the way through the season. No, it's fine. I got the bowl games. I got the title games. I've got the last two weeks. It's fine. And you have the FCS playoffs. Yeah, I'm no, I'm not worried at all. All right. What am I? Nineteen forty-one and one. 1940 and one. Yeah, I'm going to end 56, 41 and one. All right. I'm going to go on a hot streak. Just you wait. I'll ride that heater. Um, <laughs> all right. So, guys, this weekend, Kyler Murray and UL Monroe's Caleb Evans became the 18th and 19th players since the year 2000 to collect five career games with more than 300 yards passing and 50 yards rushing. Your job to name the other 17 players. So, uh, Coach, I will start with you. Five career games with more than 300 yards passing and 50 yards rushing. Yep, in the same game. All right. Um, War Cam Eagle. Uh, Cam Newton? Yes. I don't know if he played enough games. He did not play enough, Coach. He he does, he didn't even uh, – he has uh, he has at most two. Ooh. So that is uh, an X for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not even have uh, two by my count. Oh. Hmm. Sorry, Coach. That's, uh, oh. That is a strike. Josh, you're up. Well, when you pose this question on our show notes, the first name that popped into my head 
is a lot to do with, well, his former coach just got canned, and that's Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, he is number one in uh, since the year 2000. He has 10 such games, um, but Louisville only six and four in those games. I think that might help explain why a certain motorcycle enthusiast is no longer crashing on the sideline. <laughs> All right. Uh, Coach, you're up. He's crashing elsewhere. Um, well, uh, I'm going to make up for my horrendous first choice, and I'm going to say uh, this guy won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, so go ahead and give me strike two, Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota, that is correct. He is tied for third. He has seven such games. Ooh, great minds, Coach. That was my next name. Uh, that means I'm going to drop down to my third name and go with yet another Heisman Trophy winner. And that was RG3 and his great career in Baylor. RG3 did indeed have five such games. Coach. All right. Um, give me another Louisville uh, quarterback, but this one did not play for um, Harley-Davidson uh, extraordinaire. Um, this one played for... Uh, Charlie Strong, uh, give me Teddy Bridgewater. Ooh, ooh, Teddy Bridgewater. Sorry, Coach, that is going to be strike two. That's a good guess, though. I like that. That's neat. It's a little off off the path right there. All right. Well, I don't know if he passed for enough yards, but this guy was damn mobile. So I went with a little bit of a gamble. I'm going to go with South Florida's. Great, great collegiate quarterback, Quentin Flowers. Ooh, I love that guess. He came up just short, though. He had four. Val Poop. Not a bad guess, though, Josh. Not a bad guess. Uh, this guy was more of a battering ram uh, than a quarterback Some in some instances. Um, he made a famous guarantee, um, and he's on TV right now, and he plays minor league baseball. Would that be one Timothy Tebow? Timothy Tebow. <laughs> Timothy, coach, I'm sorry. He did yeah. not. Timothy? Your third strike. Oh. All he did was run and throw deep balls. <sighs> he, he, did not, he, he did not hit the threshold. Um, so far as I can mm-hmm. tell, uh, he had two such games in his career that he did that, too. That's a shame. All right, Josh, you've already won. Do you have any other names? Two, at least it's Georgia. <laughs> Those might have been the two. Uh, the, last, the last few names that I would have guessed, uh, you know, maybe a guy who has an outside chance at winning the Heisman this year if things break his way. Mackenzie Milton would have been a name. That's correct. He has six. Um, I don't know if he played enough games uh but it feels like johnny manzel always had monster games johnny football had seven. Oh wow um that was that was kind of where i tapped out i was thinking maybe deshaun watson deshaun watson has five and then that was the rest of my list I didn't have anyone else pass. All right. Guys, you were missing. Um, you had the guys got Lamar Jackson number one. Then we had Chase Clement from Rice. Uh, don't know if you remember Ooh. him from the. I do not remember him. I'm sorry. He had eight such games. And Rice went seven and one in those. So, uh, Rice yeah. good at football. Who would have guessed? Um, you guys missed Trevon Boykin, recently of TCU. Fantastic college quarterback. Greg Ward Jr. from Houston. 
Another oh, fantastic college quarterback. Uh, Gerard Johnson from Texas A&M. Don't uh, remember him. JT Barrett from Ohio State. Heard of him. Taj, <laughs> uh, Taj Boyd from Clemson. Uh, I mean, John- the one that Lane Kiffin wouldn't take because he's never taken a snap under center. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, Lane Kiffin, former Tennessee quarterback Josh Dobbs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he, I believe he had about 800 yards passing and about 400 yards rushing on Iowa in a bowl game. Yeah. Um, Nevada quarterback Cody Fajardo, um, who I was not from, I, I saw Nevada quarterback on there, I would assume, in Colin Kaepernick. He only had three such games, but Fajardo had five from 2011 to 2014. You mentioned RG3. Josh Harris from Bowling Green back in the early 2000s. Uh, and finally, Dan LeFevre from Central Michigan. Oh, great, great college quarterback, yeah. Yeah, so uh, good work, Josh, A-minus, coach, uh, C-minus. A-minus? Yeah, you had one strike. You had one strike, I can't give you an A. That takes it from an A-plus to an A. Not not, not in this grading system. You're graded on a curve. Um, (laughs) I got a 72. Yeah, you got a 72. Josh gets a 92. Um, all right, let's hit some deep roots, guys. Uh, we'll start with the only win of the weekend for the three of us in our uh, preferred teams. Georgia had a pretty dominant showing in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Coach, DeAndre Swift starting to make dog fans say Nick and Sony who? Well, I wouldn't go that far, but he's pretty close. I know. DeAndre, <laughs> DeAndre and Elijah are uh, you know about as close as you're going to get to Nick and Sony. Yeah, uh, I, although uh, Elijah's got some ground to make up on on uh, on Chubb, but yeah. uh, as you saw Chubb's performance this past Sunday against the Falcons, but um, yeah, DeAndre Swift is—I I swear he doesn't cut; he teleports. It's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's incredible. He uh, just so fast uh, accelerating uh, in and out of his cuts. It's—it's it's unreal. Yeah, Coach, um, I was watching this. I—I th- I, I think I texted you something uh, to that. Uh, you know, to that notion, just like De- DeAndre Swift doesn't, doesn't, like you said, he doesn't just cut. He doesn't just teleport. He's just magically in a new place. Yeah. It's it's unreal. It's unreal. And it goes back. I've talked about this many times. That running back class that is currently sophomores is unbelievable. Yeah. You it got is. Najee Harris. Uh, I would say, I mean, I would venture to say that, DeAndre Swift might be number one in that list. I think Jonathan uh, Taylor might have something to say about that. And then Jonathan Taylor. Travis Etienne. I mean, you can make arguments for Etienne, Jonathan Taylor, uh, Najee Harris, Cam Akers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a set, uh, I think it's uh, the guy who's over at USC. It's not a Cedric Ware. It's the other guy in the backfield there. Uh, who, yeah. wears, who wears number seven? I'm, I'm blanking his name right now. But, yeah, I mean, that, that running back class is – Absolutely unbelievable. It could go down in history as one of the greatest running back classes in collegiate football history. Yeah, it's it's, it's exciting to watch, no doubt. But um, Georgia's defense just completely answered the call. Um, after that first series, once Auburn kind of got through their, uh, you know, first 15 script and they hit the uh, Wildcat, you know, weak side rollout touchdown, I knew they were screwed because – they had to empty all their bag of tricks in the first quarter, which means they have, which a lot of times means 
you know you have no answers, and Gus Malzahn just looked lost on the sideline uh, all night long. He even muttered the words, they better not fire me. Um, they caught that on Twitter, and it, it, it went kind of viral. Um, if, if you need to go check it out, Gus Malzahn basically saying he, he either says they better not fire me or someone's going to fire me. I'm out of a bleeping job. <laughs> um, so um, not a good look for Malzahn. Uh, offensively, Stidham was just Stidham. Their offensive line was what they thought, what we thought they were. They were horrendous. Uh, they were giving up pressure all night long. Uh, Stidham was constantly uncomfortable getting hit getting hurried, getting flushed from the pocket, um, not having time to get off of his first read and check down. Uh, the running game was uh, wildly inconsistent, although there were some good plays here and there. Uh, never really had enough to get things going. Uh, they were horrendous on third down, uh, especially third and short. Uh, special teams was okay. Um, they didn't really do a whole lot of special teams. I thought they had a decent punt coverage uh, night. Um, uh Defensively for Auburn, um, they had no answer for DeAndre Swift. They had no answer for Elijah Holyfield. They had no answer uh, for the Georgia receiving core. Um, Jake Fromm, again, had another huge night. And it was just all around uh, one of those games that was, um, you know, that was awesome. You know, Jake Fromm, 13 of 20 for 193 and two touchdowns. When, when you don't have to throw more than 20 passes and you can win 27 to 10, uh, and could have been worse. That's incredible. Um, but but honestly, the the talk of the game is going to go, and and I'll I'll uh, leave this with you guys. Uh, you know, because uh, the Georgia in me thought it was freaking awesome, um, even though we didn't hit it. But uh, I you kind of wonder like, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? I don't get it. But I freaking love it. Uh, was the fake field goal? at the end of the game. Um, so what, what would you guys, uh, what, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Josh? You know, I, I didn't see a down of this game. I, I'm just wondering if it was one of those where they didn't want to kick the field goal to add more points. They deliberately wanted to go for it. And with a low-stakes thing, they wanted to just try out a fake because they might have a fake built off that fake that they would then want to use against, say, Alabama in the SEC title game. That, that was my thoughts. Like, yeah. put something on film, you know, but also kind of like an FU as well. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. All right, well, let's head over then. Uh, well, I did, ha- I did have a question for Coach, though, okay. as, someone, as someone who did not see this game, and I was just double-checking the box score and stuff and trying to get a snapshot on what in the world happened. I couldn't help but notice that, Auburn did average five yards a carry, yet they only ran it 20 times, and their leading rusher had four carries, yet they tried to chuck it 36 times. Was that just the 17-point the second quarter explosion put Auburn in a big enough hole that they had to abandon their game plan? Or, or feels like Auburn should have run the ball a little bit more. Yeah, they should have. I, I think they were uh, inconsistent. They, they honestly just didn't have a lot of plays. Uh, they, they weren't on the field very much. I mean, they were, they had a lot of three and outs. Um, they got behind the sticks a lot. Uh, so down a distance kind of uh, dictated uh, their game plan. And then when they would try to run it in situations like third and short, they'd get stuffed. 
So they, they felt like they needed to abandon it and throw it more and throw more screens and things like that. And um, it just showed that they didn't have really a feel of, of, of the game. I mean, I think they could have come out uh, even after that 17 point swing, you know, still stick with your game plan, run it, get a touchdown. It's game on, you know, it's, 10, it's a 10-point game, game on. You know, you're not in a hole at all, and I think they panicked a little bit. All right. Well, um, let's head to the flip side of our team's coins. Uh, Iowa had another rough go of it this weekend. Northwestern came to Kinnick and won 14-10. to 10. Josh, I doubt Brian Ferentz will be winning the Broyles Award this year, but there's, is there something else wrong with the offense besides the play calling? Yeah, there's a – there's a tons of things wrong with stuff other than the play calling. Um, the first is Nate Stanley. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's he's had some really bad luck of hitting his thumb multiple times on player helmets as he follows through. So maybe his hand is just a mangled mess. Um, frankly, he was making these throws earlier in the year. Um, so I, I think it's just he's plateaued as a player. But um, essentially, he overthrows literally every deep ball. He's got no accuracy on deep balls. And he now checks down a ton. And so he's kind of turtling. And he basically throws about a 100-mile-hour fastball every throw doesn't matter if it's a tight end, running back, or wide receiver. And there's very few players that have the hands in college to catch a rocket. And so he's just not a reliable quarterback. He finished 27 of 41 for 269 yards, just one touchdown, no picks. Um, And I was even surprised that he – only had 14 incompletions. Feels like every throw he has is an incompletion. And I think the only reason he racked up 27 completed passes was he was checking down a whole lot. And then you get to the running game. People think Iowa has this, you know, mind-crushing, you know, soul-sucking, zone-blocking scheme that produces tons and tons of rushing yards we stink at running the ball. We're 90th in the country. We've been a substandard rushing team for several years now. Stop perpetrating this lie. We stink at running the ball. And I think a lot of it is teams know our zone blocking. It's no longer unique. It's not 2000 anymore where we're the only college program running it. And it was something that Ference brought from the NFL. It's an old trick. Most teams run something similar to it. And then on top of that, our best running back is clearly Makai Sargent. He only got 10 carries because we're running a stupid three-headed monster rushing attack. And in about the four-minute drill, he has just a tough luck fumble. You know, he was securing the ball. He just got hit in an awkward place. It looked like the one where the helmet hits you perfectly on the elbow, and he probably got a funny bone thing. And it, it was just a bad luck fumble. It was not his fault. But Ferris benches you the second you fumble it. Um, and so with the two-minute drill then, 
he has in a different back. And this back carries the ball high and tight? No, of course not. He has it dangling out there, not securing it at all, and gets poked out, gets punched out. Who, fumbled, which which back was that, John? Was that Torn Young? No, that was Ivory Kelly Martin. Okay. Torn Young is awesome. Torn Young is a bulldozer. It should be Makai Sargent is the feature back. Torn Young is the third down back. Torn Young, by the way, from Madison. Yeah. Uh, Ivory Kelly Martin, he's a nice kid. He has, I think, the highest upside of these guys because he is the fastest, but he doesn't have the ball security of the others. He doesn't see the plays develop as well. And, you know, he's a sophomore. He's gotten a lot of experience this year, but it's just clear when you watch the games that he is not up to par of the other two. So we get personnel decisions. We get quarterback who's not very good anymore. And so you can't really put those things on Brian Ferentz. The other thing, in addition to play calling, I don't know where this is coming from. I'm going to assume it's coming from the head man, Kirk Ferentz. But Noah Fant, one target, one reception, zero yards. He played nine snaps in the second half. So he either has an undisclosed injury that the coaching staff is too chicken to tell people about, or he's in Kirk Ferentz's doghouse for some reason because people think that he's had a lot fewer game snaps since the Penn State debacle when he was doing the right thing trying to tell the wide receiver of an audible that our idiot quarterback shouldn't have done. So Ferentz has totally bungled this thing. They put up 10 points against Northwestern, They and that, a lot of that was gifted by an interception that set up a very short field for Iowa's lone touchdown. Two weeks ago against Penn State, the offense didn't even produce any points. They all came from the defense or special teams. Uh, this thing has gone off the rails. I think most Iowa fans assume they're going to get smoked by, North, by uh, Nebraska in two weeks because Nebraska is a good offense. And a lot of Iowa fans are sort of saying, yeah, we'll probably lose to Illinois too because we can't score. The, the team is, is atrocious. And it's all because of terrible play calling, but also terrible play by your quarterback and terrible personnel decision by not playing your best players. It's, it's idiotic. Hats off to Northwestern. That was a long thing about how Iowa sucks. Let's talk about Northwestern. Their, their, their defense has a really good job of making you one-dimensional. Uh, they find a way to produce just enough points. They find ways to have some takeaways. They gave Michigan all they could handle. Um, I'm not optimistic for Northwestern winning the Big Ten title game. But look, they just smoked the Big Ten West this year, and they deserve – going to Indianapolis, they, it's not like they got some weird lucky stuff like they caught Iowa and Wisconsin after tons and tons of injuries. You know, Wisconsin's a little banged up, but Iowa's not. Northwestern beat Purdue opening week when both teams were fully healthy. Northwestern's earned this. Hats off to them. And how fun would that be if in their rematch they almost beat Michigan in Evanston a few weeks ago? How awesome would it be if they pulled off that monumental upset? That would be great for them and terrible for the Big Ten. 
Yeah, who cares? <laughs> uh, coach, it, uh, until we have an eighteen, at least an eighteen playoff, I don't acknowledge any of these champions. Uh, coach, <laughs> coach, if, if you were, you know, you're an offensive coordinator. What's the prescription for Iowa here? Is it just simply get the ball to Noah Fant more, or or what? Yeah, I mean, you got to find something to hang your hat on. I mean, you, you got to find some sort of balance. You got to find what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and you got to stick to it. And I, I get that you don't want fumbles. I get that all that is bad and, you know, not taking care of the ball is a serious issue. But, I mean, the kid fumbled. You take care of it in practice, and, and you give him a chance to go to go back out there, especially if he's a good player for you. But, you know, I, I think it's just it comes down to very simply uh, having faith in your guys, uh, having a rhythm for the game or having a feel of, of, of how the game is going and what you're successful at doing, which uh, honestly in, uh, you know, I watched kind of like an extended highlight. I didn't really catch much. I didn't catch the, the entire game, but I watched like an extended highlight and, and it looked like Iowa was doing some good things early on in the passing game, uh, especially and and uh, the, the touchdown they hit was a really good looking play action pass where uh, Stanley, that was, Honestly, probably the only, according to Josh, it was the only good throw he made. Um, but, you know, where where is that kind of stuff? You know, I, I kind of feel like they just kind of played right into Northwestern's hands and they kind of went away with what was what was doing doing well for them or seemingly doing well for them. Um, and, you know, I just think, you know, you've got to have a little bit more awareness of, of how the game is going, how the flow of the game is going. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's head over to Bedlam now. Uh, it was a wild one in Norman. Sooners eking out uh, the win over the Pokes, 48-47. to Coach, Oklahoma State went for it for two with about a minute left to go for the win. Uh, you know, they didn't get it, but do you like the call for them there? Uh, I don't. Not in that situation. I mean, the, um, their kicker had missed the last extra point that he attempted. Yeah, no, I know. I, I don't. You know, I, I don't like that. I think you need to, you know, as good as you were, uh, again, Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's not going to stop you, okay? Um, I, I think they could have won that game in overtime. Um, Oklahoma's defense was flat, worn out. Um, neither team was really stopping each other. Um, so I kind of get why he did it. Um, I, I don't think I would have done it because I, I, I think Oklahoma State was starting to get the momentum back after those, you know, costly turnovers and missed extra points or the missed extra point, I should say. Um, so I don't know. I mean, my gut tells me in that particular situation, kick kick the extra point and, and let's go. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I trust Mike Gundy. You know, he, he's, uh, you know, he's done this a few times. So, um, but, you know, if you're, if you're asking me, that's what my gut tells me. All right. Uh, Josh, I mean, you always pick Oklahoma in this game. So, well, you want I mean, like I, like I predicted, the Sooners uh, won it handily going away. No worries <laughs> in this one at all. But, um, uh, yeah, what did you take out of this one? Well, you know, I think normally if this had been a vintage Oklahoma State team like of the last few years where, um, you know, kick the extra point, play for overtime, 
stay in contention for the Big 12 title game. If this, you know, if this had been like a couple years ago, Oklahoma State transported to 2018, I think that's the smart play. But for the, the Pokes, they're a 500-ball club overall. They're out of the title race in the Big 12. Um, the pass was there. It just wasn't a good throw. Yeah, it, um, the play call yeah. itself was not that bad. He was actually wide open. Yeah, I think I think I can live with it. If you know, if Oklahoma State had their Big Twelve uh, title aspirations crushed on a missed two point conversion, I would agree with Coach. That's that's a huge gamble on just one play. But when you're, when you're a struggling Oklahoma State team, you're you're a younger team. You're they're not going to the Big Twelve title game this yeah, year. Yeah, you're you're not your vintage self. Why not have some fun with it? And hell, you know that you said the, yourself the kicker hadn't been. That hot? Why not? Why not just try for it? What? Why the hell not? I, I, I'm a little bit actually. I, I, I'm kind of with you there. I actually, I like the decision. I think it's you know it, it's it's kind of ballsy by uh, by the mullet to do that. But I have I have no qualms with it. You know, you, you're it's a road game and in, in a road contest. You go for the win on the road. You go for the tie at home. You go for the win on the road. So I think a bigger issue, though, is like you know, coach mentioned that Oklahoma wasn't going to stop Oklahoma State in overtime. I don't know how Oklahoma State was going to stop Oklahoma in overtime. The the Sooners had over seven hundred yards of offense. Yeah. So I mean that that that's at this point what we consider a classic Big Twelve game. It might have gone to about ten overtimes. That would have been fun. All right, uh, let's head back to the Big Ten in a game that started off as the ugliest game of the weekend uh, and would have finished that way if Ohio State hadn't put up 17 in the final frame to go on to win 26-6. to six. Uh, Josh, what were your big takeaways from the battle between the Buckeyes and the Spartans? Other than the intentional safety? Well, that was, that was pretty awesome. Uh, now, here's the thing. Michigan State has a really, really nice rush defense. they got a nice front seven. They're going to make games ugly. We've talked about Ohio State's rushing issues ad nauseum. So I wasn't that surprised that Michigan State ugly it up. The theme of this season for the Spartans is they got zero offense, zilch. Their running game produced 54 yards. 49 of it came from their backup quarterback who had three carries, 49 yards. And 47 of those 49 yards came on one long run. Hmm. So you talk about a one-dimensional offense. Michigan State is zero dimensions because neither of their quarterbacks are that good at passing. And they got nada from that running game. So it was just a matter of time before Ohio State pulled away. Hats off to the Spartan defense for, for playing with a lot of heart and ugling the game up and making it competitive for a while. But the, the far better team won. And ultimately, the right team won because Michigan State has nothing going offensively. Yeah, Coach, I agree with Josh. I think the right team won here. So uh, going forward, did Ohio State do anything in this game that makes you think that they could be you know, a, a playoff team? Or does this seem just too flawed to really make a run? I mean, you know, in a, every team is going to have an ugly game like this. But they've um, had a couple other games in a row now. Yeah, I just I, – I don't feel it with – I was about to say I don't feel it with Ohio State uh, because there's a couple of situations in this game 
that a playoff team would have taken advantage of and, and made it completely blowout city. Um, one of them was um, I actually took notes on this one. Um, I actually, actually took notes. I watched like extended highlights of a lot of these games. Um, and I took notes and my first bullet point was ha ha shanked five yard punt. <laughs> a playoff team would have taken that right down and, and put seven points on the board in about three or less plays. Okay. Um, the uh, the crucial momentum killer um, was the uh, the trick play that Michigan State scored on, and they had an they had an, an, an eligible man downfield. You can't do that when you have a potential playoff team on the ropes. You know, I, I think this game might be different if if Michigan State if that touchdown stands. Uh, I don't I don't know that for certain, but I have a feeling that. We're not kind of talking about how ugly this win was. We're talking about how uh, we're really we're really concerned about Ohio State at that point. Um, I'm still concerned about Ohio State, frankly. Um, I, I, I still don't really believe in this team. The uh, the uh, intentional safety, um, I guess it was for good field position. I, I don't really get that one. Um, I also wrote, ironically it ultimately worked out. It just didn't flip the field because the free kick went out of bounds. So oh, as I got the ball to fifty, but Michigan State forced Ohio State to punt. Ohio State pinned them right back down near the goal line. So it, it technically worked. The problem was the free kick going out of bounds. They did execute afterward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, also, another bullet point, I said you can't fumble a snap in your own end zone. Uh, Ohio State is a team that doesn't need help winning. No. Um, I, I thought Michigan State was terrible. Uh, they kept turning it over. They kept giving up big plays. Uh, they kept just shooting themselves in the foot. Um, you know, just anything you could do um, to to try to not win a game, I felt like Michigan State did that. Um and I, I credit, I discredit Michigan State more than I credit Ohio State in this game. I felt like Ohio State, with as many mistakes as Michigan State had, I felt like this should have been like a forty-two to seven game. Yeah, definitely. All right, finally, it was billed as the top game of the week, but after Anthony Brown went down in the first quarter for BC, it was all but over. So, Josh, did you learn anything about Clemson in this one, or was this just sort of uh, another? run-of-the-mill, ho-hum win for this Tiger team? Oh, well, I could make a big stink about Trevor Lawrence playing north of Virginia like it matters because all the playoff games are in warm weather. (laughs) Uh, You're right. It's just unfortunate for Boston College to have have Brown go down. Um, I thought Perry actually played all right. All things considered, being thrust into a game against the, one of the best uh, offensive or defensive lines in the country, um, but but that totally killed anything uh, potential. It made it too easy to shut down AJ Dillon. Um, so, so really, nothing nothing was learned other than bad luck for Boston College. Hopefully, they they you know buck up and win out. That'd be a good story. It would be. Coach, um, do you have any insights from this one? Uh, Sunshine is legit. Yeah. I think. Uh, he's all right. T. T Higgins, legit. Yeah, he's uh, all right, too. 
I think if you uh, if you are a special teams enthusiast, I think you would have enjoyed this one. Um, that crazy uh, Boston College special teams touchdown where he was calling Peter, 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 and the and the and the ball just popped into his gut and he returns it for a touchdown. Um, I thought BC played well up until the dam broke in the fourth quarter uh, when Rodgers had that uh, punt return touchdown. I think everything just kind of went real downhill for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, BC, I, I was impressed with BC. Um, all things considered, kind of they what they fought, were doing. They, 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 they fought, man. They fought. Their defense is good. I thought their back quarterback, I agree with Josh. He played about as good as he could in that scenario. A.J. Dillon. Yeah, he's just he's just not a thrower, man. He's a runner. Oh. He, he's not a thrower. And if you're going to be Clemson, you have to be able to throw yeah. the ball and stand in there against in the pocket against that defensive line because they're going to eat you alive otherwise. I mean, is, is there another offense in – around the country that's clicking as much as Clemson's? Um, I would say Alabama, but not with Tua getting hurt. No, I mean, honestly, if you compare offense to offense, I mean, I, I, I feel better about Oklahoma's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma State. <laughs> They're clicking offensively. Cornelius is good, man. <laughs> that guy's fun to watch. That, that guy um, is fun to watch. I will, I will say that, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, you know, I didn't learn anything else that I didn't already know about uh, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, that defensive line. Just, you know, they proved again in prime time against uh, an elite rushing attack that they are just phenomenal. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us, Josh, unless you have any final words. Well, we buried the lead, possibly one of the best games of the weekend. Arkansas rallied from a 21-point deficit in the fourth quarter, scoring 14 points to get the moral victory against LSU, losing 24-17. We've highlighted some one-dimensional offenses. How about Arkansas's throwdown for the one-dimensionality contest? 200 passing yards, 16 rushing yards. So 216 total yards. That is correct. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Wow. Chad Morris, you've got your work cut out for you, sir. Um, Coach, any final thoughts from you? Well, I'm, I, I hate that we keep bearing the lead. I, I want to grow this podcast, but, you know, we've got to be – we've got to tell our team of producers that we've got to be more on this and quit bearing this lead. But Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, guys. That's on me. That that's on me. I you know I just I, I look over the entirety of the college football map every year before I send you guys out the pre-show notes. And for some reason, that just that state that's north of Louisiana just is keeps being a black hole on the map that I have. I will say, in all honesty, this bit will be absolutely incredible if Arkansas ever gets it turned around. Can you imagine us deliberately not previewing, say, like number five Arkansas at number one? Alabama for the sake of comedy. Yes, Josh, <laughs> I, I, I've known both of you guys for too long to know that we would absolutely do that. <laughs> um, and if we didn't do that, yeah. I would actually genuinely be disappointed. He's got us pegged, Josh. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've known you guys for for long enough to know uh, what would transpire in that situation. So, yeah. Um, all right, coach. Any final words from you? The NAIA Division Two and Division Three oh. playoff fields are set. Ooh. So we got some playoff football coming up. 
Nice. Nice. Uh, my final real word, uh, not the comical bearing the lead. I got to say, uh, hats off to Eastern Michigan. We've highlighted some of their difficulties in close games. They've done it. They're six and five. They're going to a bowl game. Well done, Eagles. Well done, indeed. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us here tonight on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yep, that's us. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.